Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn again to Acts chapter 8 as we continue to look at this account here, the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip the evangelist goes down to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza and meets this Ethiopian eunuch who had been in Jerusalem to worship, so he already knew the Lord God of Israel. And uh, in fact, as he as he drives past Philip alongside the highway there in the desert, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And Philip asks him if he understands what he's reading. If you look at Acts chapter 8, Verse 30, it says, Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And the eunuch here is reading from Isaiah 53, and that's really where we're going to spend a lot of our time in this lesson, is in Isaiah chapter 53. Many of these verses in Isaiah 53 are are fairly familiar because... Um, you know, many, many Christians uh, can read these passages and we see things that, that remind us of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. It's clear to us that this passage is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, but we know that because we know these things that come later in the Bible that make these things clear. This eunuch, as he's just there, you know, trying to trying to figure these things out, he can't figure out who Isaiah is talking about. And if you read the the writings of the Jewish rabbis on this passage, you find that they're in much the same state that the Ethiopian eunuch is. Uh, most often, they conclude that the passage is talking about Israel, uh, Israel's suffering, and certainly they have suffered much through their history. But what we see here in Isaiah 53 is not Israel suffering, but rather somebody that the passage refers to over and over again as he, uh, suffering in the place of Israel. So, for instance, if you see in verse 3, it says he, this, this man, that the Ethiopian eunuch, he doesn't know whether Isaiah is talking about himself or somebody else. But it says, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And you think about what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ, about how he came unto his own and his own received him not. In verse 4, it says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. If you look at verse 5, it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. There, He wasn't wounded for his own transgressions. This he that's being described in the passage doesn't suffer for his own sins, his own iniquities, his own transgressions, but he's wounded for, it says, for our transgressions. And, and verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see all the us and we in there. Now, it may be easy for us as Christians, going back and reading this passage, to conclude that saying, everybody, right? When it says, all we like sheep have gone astray, that, that, uh, that must apply to everybody, right? And yet, as we get farther down in the passage, we see that the we and our is describing a specific people. If you notice in verse 8, this would be one of the verses that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading, uh, although it, it, doesn't quote, um, it doesn't quote the end part of verse 8 that we're going to focus in on here. Uh, but verse 8 says, He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation, for he was cut off, out of the land of the living. And that's where Acts chapter 8 stops quoting the verse. But the end of the verse says, For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Now, this is Isaiah writing, saying, For the transgression of my, Isaiah's people, was he stricken. And, and so the focus certainly in that verse is not all people without distinction, but it's the nation of Israel. Uh, notice if you come down to, to uh, verse 11, it says, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Now, some of these pronouns here kind of shifts back and forth between God the Father and God the Son. It's God the Father shall see of the travail of his, Jesus Christ's, soul and shall be satisfied. There's that, that satisfaction, that's, that propitiation that is completed through Christ's death. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Now you notice there it uses the word many. He'll justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities, those that he justifies. Um, verse 12 says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Now, hold a hand here, and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Actually, get, get two passages in Paul's epistles. Get 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and also 1 Timothy chapter 2, which we're going to turn to in a moment. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because as tempting as it may be for us as Christians to go back in Isaiah 53 and say, oh, that's the gospel for us. Notice there's some differences between what we find in Isaiah 53 and what we find here in Paul's epistles. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them 
and rose again. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. And, and he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And if there's any question in your mind about who the all is there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, if you go up to verse 1, he says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, sometimes what, what people do, if you're familiar with the, the theology that is, is often referred to as Calvinism or the, the, specific, the specific teaching of Calvinism uh, would be the teaching of limited atonement or uh, what sometimes is called particular redemption. Um, some some Calvinists don't like the term limited atonement. They prefer that term particular redemption. But uh, the you know the way somebody who holds to that theological teaching would explain the many back in Isaiah 53 would be to say that the many are the elect. The idea is that God before the world began shows which individuals would be saved and which individuals would be lost. And he only, under this teaching, he, God only made provision for the salvation of those that would be saved. And uh, even, you know, many, many Calvinists would, uh, would stress the point that this predestination was not based on God's foreknowledge. They would say it wasn't that God foreknew who would be saved or who would believe and, and chose them, but rather that God chose who would be saved. And so that Calvinistic view goes can go over there to Isaiah 53 and say, you see it says that he's only going to justify many, and so he, he bore the sins of many. But that view then has a problem with this verse, these verses here in 1 Timothy 2, because 1 Timothy 2 is stressing it's all, right? God desires, when it says that God will have all men to be saved, it's saying God wills that all men be saved. It's not saying that, that there's a, you know, a universal salvation that everybody gets saved in the end. That's not true. That's not biblical. But that's God, that's God's desire. Um, if you're listening to this and you are not saved, it's God's desire that you be saved because you're a part of the all men. God doesn't desire just to save uh, a small elect group. He wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And because of that, verse 6 in 1 Timothy 2 says that Christ gave himself a ransom for all. But it says that was to be testified in due time. When you're back in Isaiah 53, the many there and my people and that group of people that the whole passage is talking about, that it says that, that he, Christ, would come and bear their iniquities, it's not actually, Isaiah 53 is not talking about you and I, um, whether we're believers or not. It's not talking about us 
right now today. Rather, it's talking about the nation of Israel. It's talking about that people that God had chosen. And Isaiah 53 is talking about the Messiah that would come for Israel and pay for their sins. Now, it doesn't say that he wouldn't also pay for the sins of the Gentiles, but it's just not talking about the Gentiles. Um, when it says, all we like sheep have gone astray, it's not talking about uh, some lost Gentile who was never in the right path to begin with. Okay, they, they haven't gone astray. They just, they've just always been lost. But that chosen people of Israel, God chose them and set them apart from the other nations, and as individuals within that nation, you know, turned aside to other things, uh, Isaiah could say, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we Israelites like sheep have gone astray from the law that God had given to Israel. In fact, almost always in the Bible, when the Bible talks about people as sheep, it's talking about Israel. There's, there would be a few exceptions to that. But uh, certainly, in, in, you know, those passages in the Old Testament, um, it's, it's talking about Israel. And so Isaiah 53, we have to kind of kind of resist the temptation to think of Isaiah 53 as being the gospel for today. Now, certainly we can see things in Isaiah 53 that remind us of the gospel, Jesus Christ suffering as a substitute, paying for sins. But just understand that the Gentiles are not in view at all back there in Isaiah 53. That's why Paul says here in 1 Timothy 2 that, it was, he gave himself a ransom for all, but Paul says that was to be testified in due time. You see, in the days of Isaiah, it was not due time yet to testify that Christ gave himself a ransom, or, or at least in Isaiah's day, that Christ would give himself a ransom for all. In fact, even in Philip's day, as Philip is talking to this Ethiopian eunuch, uh, he uses that passage to preach Christ to him, but he's not, he's not preaching out of that passage. He's preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not, not preaching out of that passage that Jesus Christ died for the sins of all men equally without distinction. You don't find that until you get, uh, you start to see it later in the book of Acts, but it's really in Paul's epistles that you begin to see that. And so Paul says that Christ gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Well, when's the due time for it to be testified? Verse 7, Paul says, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. When was the due time for this to be testified, that Christ gave himself a ransom not just for many, not just for my people Israel, but for all, it's when God ordains Paul to be a teacher of the Gentiles in truth and verity. Because there are things that the Apostle Paul teaches that were revealed to him that were never taught by Isaiah or never, never understood or revealed to anybody before they were revealed to Paul. Go to Ephesians chapter 3, and, uh, and then after this passage we'll get back to our, to our uh, text in Acts chapter 8. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about a mystery, which a mystery is a secret. And, and he says, uh, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, 
which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul's been shown some things that Isaiah didn't know about and didn't write about in Isaiah 53, and they were revealed to Paul. He says in verse 7, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that word unsearchable means literally untraceable, untrackable. You can't go and find them in the Old Testament. You can't go and find them in the four Gospels or the early part of the book of Acts. They're unsearchable. And Paul says in verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Now if you go back up to verse 6, you see what that mystery was that wasn't made known in, in other ages. It's that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You see, the, the Ethiopian eunuch is not... It wouldn't really be correct to say that the Ethiopian eunuch is the first Gentile convert in the book of Acts. Because he's, he's not a heathen Gentile like many of these Gentiles that Paul goes to. Uh, he's either a, a proselyte to Judaism, possibly even a Jew. He's possible he's not a Gentile at all. But at the very least, he's a proselyte to Judaism or at least a God-fearing Gentile who's already worshiping the Lord God of Israel. He's not just some, some lost heathen Gentile. He's somebody who's already worshiping the Lord God of Israel, trying to understand the book of Isaiah, and Philip comes and preaches Christ to him. Now, let's go back to our text in Acts chapter 8. So it says that Philip, in verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, Isaiah 53, and preached unto him Jesus. Now, he began at that same scripture. If you, if you remember, in the 40 days between Christ's, Christ's uh, resurrection and his ascension, he was showing the disciples, the apostles, all the things in the scriptures concerning himself. And Isaiah 53 turns out to be a particularly useful passage to, to show people about Jesus as the Christ, as the fulfillment of those Old Testament prophecies. Um, but you find Christ all through Scripture. In fact, it's, you know, it's hard to find a, a page in the Old Testament where there's not some figure or type or picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and so he doesn't, he doesn't stay just in that passage. It says he began at that passage he began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now, it doesn't indicate to us how far he went. You know, this eunuch was on a, on a long trip back to Ethiopia, um, long chariot ride from Jerusalem back down to Ethiopia. And it doesn't say how long Philip is there with him in the chariot. But you can imagine the joy of this eunuch who was at least had some familiarity with the scriptures. He's He's getting to find out the, the end of the story or the fulfillment of the story. He's, he's learning about the one that all these scriptures talks about. And it doesn't tell us everything that Philip preached to him, but, but certainly Philip would have been preaching the same kinds of things that we've seen preached in Acts 2 and Acts 3 uh, about Jesus as the Messiah and the repentance that is needed for, for uh, Israel uh, and 
then also uh, the the need for baptism. Now, uh, remember, that's a part of the message here at this point is water baptism. It doesn't tell us specifically that Philip told the eunuch he needed to be baptized. There's a couple of possibilities here. Uh, it is possible that Philip told him that. It's also possible that he may have some familiarity, if, if this was common for him to, to come from time to time to worship at Jerusalem, it's possible that he may have been familiar with the preaching of John the Baptist previous to this, which was a preaching of water baptism. That's a possibility. But it's also possible that as somebody who who uh, knows the, the Hebrew practices, uh, that he's familiar with the washings under the law. And, you know, there's many baptisms under the law. Baptism is not just a, a New Testament thing. There's many washings under the law. If you read back through the, the books of Moses, you can see all the various things that could make a person unclean, and then they would have to wash with water. Uh, in fact, if you put a mark here in Acts 8, go over to Hebrews chapter 9. The, the writer of Hebrews characterizes the law in this way in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10. Um, let's start in, let's start in verse nine. He's talking about the, the tabernacle and the worship, you know, all those, all those religious rituals and things that were associated with it and uh, all the offerings and, and all of that. And Hebrews nine, nine says, which was a figure, meaning it was something that symbolized something else. It was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Now, you see the phrase there, diverse washings. That word washings, if you look it up in a, in a concordance, look it up in a, in a, a biblical Greek dictionary, you'll see that the word washings there is the word baptisms. Uh, the word baptism is a transliteration of the Greek word, and the, there's very few places where they actually translate it as washing. Oftentimes it's just left as baptism, but here it's translated as washings, but it's the same word. There were diverse, meaning there were many different kinds of washings under the law, and the writer of Hebrews here groups them with the, the dietary restrictions, other carnal fleshly ordinances, uh, the regulation of the, of the flesh, what you can do, that existed under the law. And, and so it's possible here that this Ethiopian eunuch um, is just thinking of those washings. When, when John the Baptist comes on the scene at the beginning of, of uh, the Gospels, and he's preaching the baptism of repentance, that's not some new or unfamiliar thing to the Israelites. They understand that the point of his preaching is that they're unclean, they need to repent, and then they need to be made clean, and a part of that is a washing with water, just like they're used to doing under the law. And, and so when John the Baptist starts preaching that, it's not like some new ordinance. Even the, even the Pharisees, who were strict adherents to the law, they come to John to be baptized, and he refuses to baptize them because they hadn't really repented. That same baptism of repentance is taught by Jesus' disciples during his earthly ministry before the cross. And it's also what Peter includes as the proper response to his preaching on the day of Pentecost. And that continues here through the early part of the book of Acts. Now, 
Later, Paul is going to write to Gentile believers that Christ sent him not to baptize in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But, but we're not at that point yet. And so notice here that it doesn't record for us that Philip told him to be baptized, but rather the eunuch himself, they're going along the road and there's some water there, and the eunuch himself says in, in um, verse 36, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What, what's standing in the way of me getting baptized? And verse 37 is, is very important, uh, where it says, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, again, there were all kinds of washings under the law. Just getting washed with water did not save somebody. Peter says it's not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And so what Philip is interested in before he'll baptize this Ethiopian eunuch is Philip wants to know that he has a good conscience before God. He wants to know that he's truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he puts the question to him, uh, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And you have the, the eunuch's confession there where he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so the baptism that was being practiced here in these early chapters of the book of Acts, it was not infant baptism, but it was what many today would call believers baptism. Now later, Paul says he wasn't, he wasn't sent to baptize in any form. But here at this time, it was a believer's baptism. Upon confession of faith, somebody could be water baptized. And, and not only that, but you notice it says that they, they went down into the water. In uh, verse 38, it says, He commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Um, He's not, he's not sprinkling a little water on him or, you know, putting a little water on his forehead or, or something like that. They go down into the water. And, and I don't know if you can derive from these passages that it was necessarily baptism by immersion, but they got wet all over. And immersion is a good way to do that. And when John the Baptist was baptizing, he baptized in Jordan because there was much water. This isn't this isn't something where they're sprinkling a little water on somebody. The the baptism there is symbolic of that cleansing that takes place upon believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't just get sprinkled clean when you believe on Christ. You get clean all over. And they go down into the water, and uh, the the eunuch is baptized there. Verse thirty nine. It says, when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. When it says that the spirit caught away Philip, uh, that's the the uh, the root word there would be the Greek harpazo, which is the same word that we use for the for the catching up, uh, sometimes called the rapture of the church. Philip here is apparently physically uh, caught up by the Spirit of the Lord. And it says in verse 40 that Philip was found at Azotus. Azotus is another name for the city of Ashdod, which would have been some distance from where they are here. And so, you know, one minute he's riding with the eunuch in the chariot, and all of a sudden the eunuch doesn't see him anymore. And the next place anybody sees him is is, uh, many miles away at Azotus or Ashdod. And it says, passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And uh, so, so you see this 
focus here on Philip the Evangelist here in Acts chapter 8. You see him up in Samaria. People are believing on Christ as the Messiah. Uh, you see him here with the, the Ethiopian eunuch. And the story doesn't tell us any more about what happened with the eunuch. It says that he went on his way rejoicing. He continues going back to Ethiopia. Tradition says that he, he shared that good news with uh, lots of other people and told them about this Jesus that's the fulfillment of these things written in the prophets. Uh, Philip, of course, continues on preaching. It, it says he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea, which um, he, if you remember, he met, he met the Ethiopian eunuch on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gaza's over on the Mediterranean coast. Ashdod is, or Azotus, is up north of Gaza, and then Caesarea is farther north on the coast from that. And um, so, so he's making his way up that Mediterranean coast up to Caesarea, and people are hearing of, of Jesus and uh, believing on him, believing that he is the Messiah. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.